Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you that you have exalted your Son, Jesus Christ, as King. That he is your Son at your right hand. That all nations have been placed beneath his feet. That he is above all rule and authority and power and dominion. We thank you that we can gather together to praise our King. And to share in his kingship. And we pray that you would teach us to rule as he rules. We pray in his name. Amen. All of you are kings and queens, or princes and princesses. You kids are princes and princesses who are growing up in royal houses to become kings and queens. That is not a fairy tale. That's not a make-believe thing. That is true. Every one of you is a king or a queen. Every one of you children is a prince or a princess. It's not just true, it is the truth. It's gospel truth. That's at the heart of the gospel. What does Paul say at the beginning of Romans? He's an apostle proclaiming the gospel of God, which is what? That Jesus who is a son of David according to the flesh, that is, descended from a royal house, has been proclaimed son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Son of God in the Bible mainly is a royal title. Think of Psalm 2. The Lord says his son as king on Zion. He stills the nations that are raging against him by announcing that he's placing his son, God's son, on a throne. Jesus Christ, descended from King David, has been proclaimed king by his resurrection. That is the good news. There is a new ruler of the universe. Caesar's not in charge. Nobody in Washington is in charge. Nobody in China is in charge. Jesus is king. That's the good news. And inherent in that good news is the fact that you too are kings. The gospel not only is Jesus is king, but that Jesus has a body of which we are all members. Jesus has a bride, which is us, and that Jesus has seated us with him in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That's inherent in the good news. Jesus is king, And if Jesus is king, his body rules too. If Jesus is king, then his bride is queen. Daniel saw this in a vision in Daniel 7. He saw all the authority and dominion and rule and power of all of the bestial kingdoms of the ancient world given over to the Son of Man. And when an angel explains to him what this is all about, the angel doesn't say, that the Messiah has received all authority and rule and power that belonged to those empires. The angel tells Daniel that the saints, the saints of the highest, have inherited all rule and authority and power. 
The vision of the Son of Man rising to the Ancient of Days to receive the power and glory of all the kingdoms of the world is a vision not only of Jesus, but of the saints. That's you. You're in Daniel's vision in Daniel 7. And then in the next clause, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom in Daniel 7 is the same thing as all dominion is given to the saints. That is the gospel. Jesus says it at the Last Supper. Just as my Father granted me a kingdom, so I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you, my disciples, will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The Father gives Jesus a throne. Jesus gives his disciples, not only the twelve, but also us, a place at his royal table as members of his royal house. And he confers a power to judge, an authority to judge on his disciples, the twelve, but also on his church. Jesus receives a kingdom, and Jesus doesn't receive anything from his father that he doesn't give away to us, that he doesn't share with his bride, that he doesn't share with his body. Paul says it. Jesus Christ is exalted above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. That's the end of Ephesians 1. And then we, who are dead in our trespasses and sin, have been made alive together with him, made alive from death, and are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Heavenly places, that's where Jesus is. That's where you rule. And we're there. We're there with Jesus. His body and his bride reigns with him. The good news is that Jesus is king. The good news is also that all of you are kings and queens, princes and princesses. And don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. Don't let anyone belittle you or reject you or marginalize you. You are at the center of the universe because you're in Christ who is the center of the universe. And whatever the world might say, You are kings and queens, princes and princesses, ruling with him. Well, how do I know that? How do I know that all of you qualify? How do I know all of you are kings and queens, princes and princesses? Well, I could say that you're all baptized into Christ, who is the anointed one. You all share in his anointing by the Spirit, and therefore you're all kings. Or it would be equally biblical to say, I know you're all kings and queens, Princes and princesses, because you sing and because you make music. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, singing is a royal activity. Kings sing. Kings make music. It starts right at the beginning of the Bible. Almost as soon as the story starts, we find that there are musicians after the, after the creation, after the fall, after Cain has killed his brother Abel, Genesis records the line of Cain. The line of Cain is an innovative, creative line. It's an innovative and creative clan. They invent animal husbandry. They invent metallurgy. Well, Lamech, who's a descendant from Cain, invents polygamy, an experimental family style. And in the midst of that, With all these descendants of Cain who are ruling over the earth and taking dominion over animals and over metals 
and building cities. Right in the middle of that, this royal line of Cain, you find there's Jubal, who is the father of those who are the players of pipes and harps and lyres. Music is an expression of dominion, right along with controlling and taming animals, right along with digging up metals from the earth and turning them into tools and weapons, right along with city building. Music is a royal act. Music is a royal achievement. Get a little uncomfortable to realize that it's a descendant of Cain, who's the father of musicians. That makes us a little leery. Maybe, maybe we should be a little standoffish to music. But this happens over and over again in the Bible. The wicked get there first. Cain founds a city long before David has a city. Before uh, Abraham or Jacob or Moses or David are shepherds. A descendant of Cain has tamed animals and is a sheep herder. Before there are musicians at Solomon's temple, there are musicians in pagan temples. The wicked get there first, but they're just developing an inheritance that's going to be given over to the righteous. That's what the Proverbs says. Proverbs 13.22, the treasures of the wicked are stored up for the righteous. Yes, Cain's line is the one that takes dominion in all these ways, but they're inventing things and they're creating things that are going to be the inheritance of the people of God. And music is among those. Music, from the beginning, is a royal activity. A lot of the early musicians and singers in the Bible are women. Miriam leads the women in singing after the Exodus. And what are they singing? Praise to Yahweh. Praise to Yahweh, the warrior. Praise to Yahweh, who has thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. He's triumphed gloriously. They sing the song of Moses, the song of the sea. They're praising the great hero of Israel. The way the women praise Saul. The way the women praise David as they come back from battle. After a victory over the Canaanites, Deborah composes a song. And Deborah and Barak sing a song that includes these immortal words. She reached out her hammer for the tent peg, talking about jail. Her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She smashed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Deborah wrote that. That was written by a woman. Rejoicing in the achievements, rejoicing in the achievements of the heroism of King Yahweh. Hannah prays a poetic prayer that resembles the Psalms. And she rejoices also that she's not just that she's given birth and she's been vindicated over her rival, but she rejoices because she knows because she, a barren woman, is giving birth, God is beginning to overturn everything in Israel. Everything's upside down. But her miracle birth is a sign that the Lord is going to turn it right side up again. And so she praises Yahweh for his great acts. And that praise for kings, that praise for heroes, continues all the way through to the end of the Bible. When the Lamb ascends into heaven in Revelation 5, the angels and the elders, the living creatures who surround the throne, break out their musical instruments. And they're not only saying praise, but they begin singing praise. Every time there's a king, every time a king comes to his throne, it's accompanied by praise. Yahweh himself ascends to his throne on the praises of his people. He ascends to his throne on the praises of his bride, Miriam and the women, Deborah and Hannah. But music really kicks off in the Bible when we get to the period of the kingdom, when we get to the monarchy. One of the signs that Saul has been chosen as king is that he's going to meet a collection of prophets 
who are walking along prophesying. They're prophesying with musical instruments. They have harps and flutes and lyres. Harps and flutes have never been mentioned before in the Bible. This is the first time when Saul encounters these prophets who are prophesying, but they're prophesying with musical instruments, which means they're not just speaking prophecy, they're singing prophecy. In the Bible, the word prophesy, the verb prophesy, sometimes means to sing. And when Saul encounters these prophets, he too is overcome by the Spirit. The Spirit fills him, and as Paul tells us, when we're filled with the Spirit, we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing and make melody in our hearts. And Saul does that. Saul, The sign that Saul is king is the Spirit comes on him. And before the Spirit ever comes on him and he goes to battle, the Spirit comes on him and he begins to sing. He begins to prophesy. But of course, David is the great royal singer and musician of the Bible. When he becomes king, he organizes priests, a priestly choir and a priestly orchestra that would become part of the Temple of Solomon. They're the priests and the Levites who are doing the singing and doing the instrumental playing, but it's done under the hand of the king. The king's in charge of it. He's like the great conductor. He's the music director of the temple choir and the temple orchestra. David composes psalms. He's called the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's the new Jubal. Jubal was the descendant of Cain who first invented musical instruments. But David invented his own musical instruments called the Instruments of David. And all through the history of the kings, these instruments appear periodically. Whenever there's a revival in Israel, there's music. Whenever there's a revival in Israel, the Instruments of David get brought out again. The temple's in disrepair, and then Hezekiah repairs the temple. And the Instruments of David get brought out, and everybody sings. The Levites and priests play and sing. The temple is torn down. And Israel goes off into exile. But when they come back, Nehemiah breaks out the instruments of David. And they pray and sing as they dedicate the walls of the city and dedicate the temple back to the Lord. Kings and singing, kings and music making go together in the Bible. And that's not accidental. It's not just a random association between kings and royalty and rule on the one hand and making music on the other. Making music is an inherently royal, kingly practice. You think about what it takes to be a good singer. I know this only in theory because I'm not a good singer. I've never been trained to sing. Uh, You can talk to Braden if you want to hear about musical training, singing training, or some others who have taken training in music, in, in singing. What do you have to do to be a good singer? You might think you just need a natural voice and just boom out. No, you've got to train your entire body. You not only have to train your voice, you have to train your breathing, you have to train your muscles, you have to, you have to train your posture, so I'm told. Your whole body is involved in singing. You have to rule your body properly. You have to take control of your body. You have to be king of your own body in order to produce the kind of sound that you want. Singing is itself a sign that you've taken dominion over the body. If you're, if you're a good singer, then to some degree you've taken dominion over your own body. You've learned to control it. Or think about what it takes to make a musical instrument. Trees make beautiful sounds. The wind goes through the trees and you get this humming sound. But you never heard a stringed orchestra coming out of a tree. 
You've got to take the tree down. You've got to cut it into pieces. You've got to form those pieces. You've got to put those pieces together. You've got to make a violin and a cello and a viola. Don't forget the viola. You've got to make the instruments out of what's in the creation. You take the raw materials of creation. You make it into a musical instrument. And then you find strings. You you dig up uh, metals to make certain kinds of strings. Or you, I, you take cat gut. You stretch out cat gut and make strings. You've taken things that are in the creation and you've glorified them and enhanced them so that they make even more beautiful sounds. Making a musical instrument is kind of the paradigm of dominion. That's what we're supposed to be doing all the time when we rule the earth. We're supposed to make the earth sing. Turn everything in creation into a musical instrument that praises God. That sacrifice of praise is the destiny of everything. The last time I preached, or a few times ago, we talked about, I talked about the, uh, the fact that creation sings. But creation sings under the direction of human beings who rule the creation and transform it so that it can sing to its fullest. Like bread baking. Like wine making. A musical instrument is a sign of dominion that's been achieved. It's a sign that creation has been transformed by human labor and action into something more glorious that can bring praise to the creator. Music and kingship are inherently connected. And music and kingship are inherently connected also because music inspires us to heroic royal acts. Why do you think athletes want to warm up to to pounding music? Get you in the mood to go out and do battle on the field or go out and battle on the court. If you have that experience, you've been, you've been warming up and you're surrounded by the booming sounds of an, a, a, a marching band or the sounds of music over the players, you're warming up for a basketball game and you know that you're jumping several feet higher than normal. Just the music is taking you up. The music inspires you. Why do soldiers sing and play music as they go to battle? Why do they sing and play music as they're training? It's because the music inspires them for war. It inspires them to be heroes. There's something about music that makes us kings. It's not just that music is a sign of dominion and rule achieved. Music makes us kings, makes us royal, heroic, courageous actors. In the Bible, the great athletes of the faith are the martyrs. And the martyrs learn to be martyrs. The martyrs prepare for martyrdom by singing. They want to join the heavenly choir. That's the goal of the martyrs in the book of Revelation. They start out under the altar. They're wanting to go up into the heavenly choir. They want their white robes so they can sing along with the angels and the elders and the living creatures. But they're under the altar. It's not time yet. Someday they're going to be given their white robes. Someday they're going to join the heavenly choir. But before that happens... There have to be additional martyrs. And in Revelation, the 144,000 are the additional martyrs that are added to the martyrs. So you have a full company of martyrs, and they're the ones that ascend as a choir to join the angels in heaven. But before they do that, before they're cut down in martyrdom, before they're harvested in martyrdom, we see them standing on Mount Zion, singing the songs of heaven. They're preparing to give their life's blood for Jesus by offering their life's breath in song. You want to be prepared 
to witness in the face of pressure and hostility. You want to have a church that's ready to withstand all of the storms that might be brewing against Christians. Learn to sing. If you want a church of witnesses, martyrs, you want a church of courageous witnesses, they need to be ready to sing. They need to be singing the songs of the Lamb, singing the war songs of the Lamb that are inspiring them with the Spirit so they can go out and fight the fight of martyrdom. Music is a sign of dominion achieved. Music inspires us. And music is also a form of warfare. Music is a weapon of our warfare. The spirit is a spirit of war. Think of all the times in the book of Judges where the spirit appears. The spirit comes on Othniel. The spirit comes on Gideon. The spirit comes on Jephthah. Four times the spirit comes on Samson. Samson is the most spiritual man in the Old Testament. And what happens when the spirit comes? Somebody gets hurt. Something gets broken. Gideon fights against the enemies of Israel. Jephthah fights the enemies of Israel. Samson, gripped by the spirit, tears lions in pieces and kills Philistines and breaks the bonds that, that, the cords that bind him. When the spirit comes, people go to war. When the Spirit comes, people sing, and those two things are connected. When the Spirit comes, David begins to sing. When the Spirit comes, Saul begins to sing. He begins to prophesy. That's in our sermon text, what Michael read earlier today about David. David has just been anointed to become king. Saul has resisted the Lord. He's resisted the prophet. He's sinned three times, and the Lord is taking the kingdom away from him. And now the spirit has departed from Saul and the spirit is with David. And the first thing he does, just like all the judges, is go to war. You think Goliath. No. He's got a battle before Goliath. Before he picks up his sling and his stone, before he's fighting with the sword, he fights an even more dangerous and elusive enemy, which is the evil spirit that's inhabiting Saul, that's pestering Saul. And how does David carry on that battle? Sling and a stone will work with Goliath. It's an unusual weapon, but it'll work. You can fight armies of Philistines with a sword. You can't fight an evil spirit with a sword. How does he do it? He sings. He plays music. And whenever David sings and plays music in Saul's presence, the evil spirit departs from him. If you want to kill a Goliath, Take a sling and a stone. If you want to go against Philistines, take a sword. If you want to battle with principalities and powers and forces of spiritual darkness in heavenly places, then you need the heavy artillery. You need the trumpets and the, and the pianos and the violins and your voices. Singing is a spiritual weapon. It's among the spiritual weapons that Paul enumerates a bunch of spiritual weapons and spiritual armor in Ephesians 6. But he could have added song, which is, throughout the Bible, is a spiritual weapon. You can fight off a lot of enemies with force of arms. But if you want to cast out the demons, if you want to make war on the spirits, if you want to win that kind of victory, then you've got to learn to fight not just with your arms, but with your fingers, playing a musical instrument. 
You've got to learn to fight with your tongues, singing praise to the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of sharing in your battles. We thank you that we are kings and warriors in Jesus Christ, the great King. We pray that like him, we would sing and play music and so drive away the demons and overcome the principalities and powers. Prepare us for courageous witness as we sing together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.